Idly Holy Podcast Arenas. What is going on? Welcome to the Mahmakam Podcast, a weekly philosophy and lifestyle podcast where we explore deep topics for personal growth and development. This week will be no different. I've, after a very long time of threatening to do it, I've got my dad on the podcast, Marcin McCann. Marcin McCann is a black belt in numerous martial arts, including Bojinkan Ninjitsu, and the grade he holds is a fifth dan in our system of the Shinden Fudo Dojo. Um, he's also trained in Judo, boxing, uh, Shotokan Karate, Kung Fu, and basically everything, Muay Thai. And in this particular podcast, we're talking about being a Celtic ninja warrior, about the roots of ancient ninjutsu and its connections to Irish guerrilla warfare. We're talking about the way of the warrior, the art of war, Miyamoto Musashi, removing the gap between thinking and action, and generally given an overview of the philosophy of ninjutsu and the kind of attitude necessary for that type of combat. So yeah, it's going to be a good one. Good follow-up to the last one, The Courage. If you haven't listened to that, you should definitely go check it out, kind of building on that topic more, but bringing in a martial arts angle. Um, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please click that follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. Follow along on YouTube or Instagram and stay in touch. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Bo! Okay. Yes, so thank you very much, Dad, for agreeing to do this podcast with me. That's the least I can do, consider. I appreciate your turning up to this beautiful studio that we're in with our sound man here, Brian. Um, yeah, I suppose getting the black belt this week, I wanted to... Your black belt was back there at uh, 2019. Yeah. Because you, you didn't do your stuff then. Because of the delays. Yeah. But um, in terms of, I suppose, yeah, teaching people a bit about ninjutsu, about... I've been talking about courage on the podcast. I've been talking about martial arts. A lot of the stuff that we talk about a lot of the time are things that I've been touching on lately. So I wanted to kind of ask you about your experience. Okay. Um, when did you start in martial arts? Um, geez, when I was a young fella, I was involved in um, Gaelic football, hurling, handball, running, swimming, cycling. A lot of stuff, a bit of cross-country running as well. But for some reason, I just kept getting pulled into to martial arts. You know, I'm into boxing and judo. And I suppose my earliest um, memory of getting really drawn into martial arts when I was eight and I was involved in judo and I was in my first fight against a much bigger opponent. Mm-hmm. I'm really a guy who was probably twice my height and weight. And I'd fight him for my yellow belt in judo. And that, that really stands out as my first major conflict in the martial arts in my memory. Was there a big difference between training back then and the way you train now? Well, when I was eight. When you were eight. <laughs> well, training then obviously was for kids, but it was yeah. a lot of a lot of contact. You know, yeah. with judo and boxing, both you're getting you're getting punched in boxing and yeah. hit, and you certainly uh, quickly mm. develop a skill, particularly for moving and footwork, bobbing yeah. and weaving and covering, mm. taking punishment. I think, uh, particularly as a younger 
uh, practitioner of any martial arts, very important, but obviously not to get damaged bodily, but the conditioning and to get rid of the fear and perception of getting hurt, yeah. which can really hold back your own. Was that difficult as a kid, like starting off the kind of flinching and boxing and stuff? Or? I don't, I think the enthusiasm of wanting to learn a skill and mm. watching others with the skill mm. really encourage you to get deeper into, I suppose, the the impact you're going to take to get there. You know? And you kind of brought yourself into it. It wasn't like, for me, obviously, you introduced me to martial yeah. arts, but going down yourself as a kid, Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of drove you to do that? Was it just the enthusiasm for no, it? No, it was a niggling feeling inside. I wanted to, to train in martial arts, and I, I, I suppose martial arts have been the wrong term then. There'd be more combat arts, such as boxing and judo. Yeah. Those things really attracted me. Because of the... I suppose it's the, the male challenge. Mm. You know, these things are kind of ingrained historically in men because they were, you know, warriors and fighters. And I think that sort of stuff. And, and as a young man, I played, you know, with soldiers and we played games and mm. stuff. This would have been prior to the Troubles in the North in the 60s. As kids, we played all these kind of boys' games mm. and they kind of progressed. But I really had an attraction to the fighting arts that came from somewhere inside. It didn't come from my yeah. my my conscious mind. It was somewhere inside. I was just pulled towards. Do you think it. was it the kind of mythology of it, like the story? Was it something that seemed like? Well, I had a lot of that because I would have been uh, reading a lot of uh, Irish uh, folklore tales. You know, the Tawn Bukuig and uh, the, the the Knights of the Red Branch and the Warriors, and you know all the stories. Cucullin, Ferdia. I would have had all of that, and uh, there is an attraction within that. Yeah. You know. I would say it certainly played a part at a subconscious level, no question about it. Yeah, because it's an interesting segue, I suppose, like the the ninjutsu, the Celtic ninja warriors. Yeah. That there's yeah. that kind of... Well, that was our mindset, really. Mm. Because if you look at the actual art of, of ninjutsu, it's very traditional, very Japanese, but each particular group or clan within it developed their own system, particularly to their own really? geological locations. Yeah. You would get different groups would specialize. For example, if they had a lot of lakes and rivers yeah. around where they live, they would utilize water for a number of reasons, as much as flooding a force or a military uh, procession that was coming your way. You might flood it in the middle to split them up. Whoa. So you could fight a smaller group where the others were trapped. You might also use it, for example, to cut off their supply lines. Mm. So if their supplies were at the back, you'd cut off the troops from the supplies and then hit the supplies, take all the supplies and use them against them. So really, uh, it's quite the, the Celtic and Gaelic way. It's exactly the same. Yeah. We had the same thing here. If you go back here to the 1500s, mm -hmm. end of the 1500s, you had the Nine Years' War. The Nine Years' War under, uh, under Hugh O'Neill and Red Hugh O'Donnell mm -hmm. in the north from 1593 to 1603, it would have been they settled with Elizabeth I, just before she died. If you take that particular war, they fought against the English who used very, at the time, traditional strategies. They were really restricted by how they moved and how they fought. The Irish fought light on horse. They used a smaller musket. They had smaller, shorter swords, and they could shift and move very fast, do the damage, get in and get out. Lots of skirmishes. You know, and through the nine years, we're in battles like um, the Ella Ford, for example, where three and a half thousand Irish uh, took out 4,500 English. It was mm. under, um, under, what was his name at the time? It wasn't Mountjoy, he came later. Bagno, Henry Bagno. Mm -hmm. And they defeated a bigger force. And again, by using strategy, they walked them into an area where they could set the trap, 
where they had all the advantage, they had the height, they had the water as well, which they used to cut off their supplies. And they used this in a manner that was very, very Celtic. So suddenly you have a link there between what yeah, the Japanese well, were doing and what the Irish were doing in the same period. And that that link is not just the martial arts, but kind of the art of war. Is yes, what I'm hearing is. You say. yes, it like is. The Sun Tzu, yes, that kind of mentality, which is probably if people do martial arts now, if they're training like Taekwondo or Muay Thai or something like yeah. that, the art of war is a very different sort of thing. Totally like, that's different. the interesting thing yeah. about ninjutsu is that it has that kind of history. Mm. That and Ireland kind of, has that history as well. And Ireland has that history because also. That's why the Irish fitted in so well in this in the system, particularly mm. Togakure ninjutsu, because they had this yeah. historical DNA that was grown up the same way. You could see up. the benefit in, a, mm. in that type of kind Huge. of mentality and warfare. What was it like when you went to Japan? I mean, uh, did actually, they like the Irish? Or was it? Um, well, I think a lot of them, you know, had very little knowledge of, of Ireland. They knew it was a country in the, mm. you know, the west end of Europe, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. That was about it. <laughs> yeah. Because by then, the first time I went to Japan was 1988. And at that time, uh, you know, not a lot of Irish people had been to Japan to train. You know, a few had, but not many. You know, and a group of 20 of us went the first time and we trained three sessions a day. We did a session early in the morning, got about an hour off for lunch, back on, we did an afternoon session, got an hour off, and then we went to a different dojo to train at night. Plus we trained in the Budokan as well. So we trained three times a day. All one day we had a day off. And we went to a village in the mountains called Yumi Yamura, mm. which is the ninja village. And they had all these houses set up with yeah. kind of trick doors and stuff and really built in a manner what? You could become defensive very fast yeah. if you were surprised. Yeah. So it's more interesting from the mindset mm. rather than the physical manifestations of the traps that they set up. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was very good, very hard training at first, but we were well used to that type of training. We trained, mm. actually it was not physically as demanding as what we were doing at home in, in Ireland. Mm. I was training in Dublin at the time. There's only three clubs in Ireland at the time. There was one in Lurgan under Gary yeah. uh, McConville. There was one in Belfast under uh, Jim Mallon and Tom McCann, and one in Dublin. Yeah. You know, we trained, and there was a three different groups at the mm -hmm. time. You know, and would it have been? I suppose would martial arts have been popular in Ireland at that time? Very much I know so. in the eighties there was like a karate big seventies. Mid seventies, you had yeah. you know karate was huge. You, you had the yeah. likes of uh, Tommy McGrain and John McGrain and, and karate, and then you had taekwondo was huge. You know, you had. Jerry Martin and Brenton O'Toole, Aidan Walsh, mm. these guys are just incredible martial artists. But in Ireland you had a huge amount of them, very, very talented, very committed. Yeah. People that trained really, really, you know, really hard and dedicated. And they kind of passed this attitude on to the people they brought up. Mm. So a whole level came up behind them. Now it's a little bit different now because, you know, there's kind of health and safety and people are, you know, a little bit more I don't want to say softer because that's the wrong thing to say because yeah. there's a lot of really strong people training in martial arts that are exceptional across the board, mm -hmm. you know. And again, you look at you know, like judo, for example. Look at the level we have here, you know. And some of the up and coming, you know, judoka we have are incredible. Like young Barack Leeson, yeah, incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, the standard. Do you think it's a different mentality, I suppose, because a lot of the kind of old school training we do, very focused on the endurance aspect yes. of it, the perseverance, the kind of, you know. There's a lot more suffering in it, I suppose. Whereas mm. people now, like even in boxing and stuff, like they're trying to avoid road work. Yeah. It's, you know, wears yeah. it down too much, or like there's definitely a I don't know trying to get scientific about it or kind of. Yeah. Well, the the, the focus on endurance and perseverance is so important. Mm. You know, because you can't really, you know, as I once was said to me, you can't get from A to C without going through B. And if you don't go through B, you're not going to be able or will have not 
developed to the point mm. you need to, particularly to progress, particularly if you're connecting them with attitudes. And attitudes, I mean the elements, chi, sweet, kaf, yeah. ku. Do you understand them? The only way you understand them is through endurance. And, and ninjutsu is literally translated, isn't it? The art of endurance. Like the nin mm. is endurance, mm. perseverance. I think yeah. it can also be patience. Of course. And then the jutsu is the art. Yeah, and then you look at a shinobi, you know. Yeah. You know, the art of stealth. And, but within the, the, the Togakure system, you've got nine schools, and each school specializes yeah. in some very, very different thing. You know, one, Dokken Dai Jutsu, Jutsu, weapons, you know, stealth. All, you, mean, you could go on all day. There's so much, you know, yeah. even Goton Pon, Ujitsu, which is uh, firearms Guns from the 1500s. You know, like that art goes that way. Whereas nowadays, we are more we're streamlined a lot more as well, you know, mm -hmm. but it's really concentrating on making the, the actual student capable of adjusting and adapting to any environment. Mm -hmm. That's really one of the most important objectives, but also giving them a, a, a flow where there is, you know, let's call it a circular flow, where there's no corners and there's no stops. No matter where you go, for example, you'd be familiar with, if we have, we start off uh, some sort of training, you and I, with Dakantai Jitsu, which is punch, kick, strikes, locks, holds. And we move, we are sorry, uh, strikes, and we move into locks, Jutai Jitsu and holds. There's no point at which that changes. Mm. You flow straight into it. And the moment I move you one way and you resist, I go another way. Mm. It's almost this continuous flow where it becomes difficult to stop mm. because there's so many aspects to it. Yeah. You know, but you can never understand that unless you're and actually training it. The mentality you're talking about, the ability to adapt to situations, is does that come from traditional ninjutsu? Because that's something I've noticed from it that's actually quite unique. Yeah. That doesn't exist in a lot of other martial arts that well, I've I'll done. Tell you, it partially it does. They don't have that goal, I suppose. Partially it does, mm. but As a it product. also comes from our Celtic heritage. Yeah. Totally, because mm. invariably when you know you move far far back in Irish history smaller clans and groups had to really be strong and smart a lot of them would have allied themselves with bigger bigger larger chieftains and in that manner they became stronger but they had to develop the same skills they served. you had to adjust and adapt and, and bridge whatever gap was put in front of you for you and your family and your extended group survival so I think uh, the Irish connection and the Japanese connection together has produced something yeah, Special. well, that's kind of the essence of life, yeah. isn't it? Adapting yeah. to change and yeah. the ability to. There's an interesting thing that I wanted to talk to you about in ninjutsu that I don't know if you brought it into it or if it kind of exists in it. I read some of um, what's his name Hatsumi's stuff, and he kind of mentions it, but that's kind of being a lifelong learner and mm -hmm. a student. Mm -hmm. uh, but that seems to extend beyond martial arts, like follow the martial and literary arts yeah, with balance yeah, determination. Yeah, very important, you know. That attitude is so, like, it's ingrained in me because we've done it for so yeah, long. Yeah. But it's very alien to a lot of people to have this continual attitude of progress. Yeah, well, you see, that is a very good point you brought out because as we often discussed removing the gap between thought and action. And it's something we discussed when you were much younger. I remember having that conversation with you when you were about... I think it was the year you were in the final of the Dublin. Do you remember that year? Yeah. And you were in the final in boxing. Mm. It was the year that um, it was the year that those guys tried to beat up your friend. You might remember that, do you? In HMV. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. This is a very interesting was, story for the audience you're to get listen in to. Trouble now. <laughs> about about Mahan. Right? And Mahan was uh -oh. the greatest natured young fella. He re really was. He was very hard to upset. You'd actually have to hit him to upset him. And unfortunately, that was the case. <laughs> On this particular day, Mahan's friend, what was his name? 
I think it might have been Aaron. Aaron was well, yeah. it was his birthday, mm. and you guys were in HMV. There's about eight, I think seven or eight of you. I just were coming back to the house to have a bit of a celebration or whatever. But while you were at one side of memory search and you read, a bunch of guys come over and started hassling them. And you went over with the, the, the innocent head, trying to, you know, be the mediator and stop or whatever. And one of them threw a dig at you. And I remember you searching about six or seven of them hit the deck very fast. <laughs> before the security guys could over who had witnessed it. You know, when you think about that at 14, having that skill set, number one, not to start trouble, but the yeah. attempt and resolve it. Mm. But as soon as it starts, you went right away into that mode. But it was completely automatic as well. Like it wasn't something that I was consciously kind of yeah. doing because we would have worked a lot on that, you know, like the yeah. responding instantly where you're not thinking about it and you just it's kind really of switch. Between thinking and, and the most successful times, like in any sort of situation like that, where I was in a fighter and the most successful times were those moments where it was automatic and I yeah. just struck first and with absolute just boom. Yeah. We like, see in the early days, what, what, in the early days for you, probably from mm. when you were about, well, we started, I mean, you, I saw you training when you were six, I think, or seven. I started doing pod work in the shed, if you remember, and we used to do a bit of running together, small distances, maybe a kilometre and stuff. But when you got to about 10 or 11, because you'd been boxing as well, plus you'd been training in the ninjutsu, your skill set really started to develop that. And I worked as much as you can with someone of that age without advancing them too fast yeah. to encourage your intuition and your, I suppose, your responsive, intuitive mm. reactions in the sense of, how would you put it? with a sense of justice, not doing it, you know, if somebody bumps into you, for example, yeah. but when, yeah. recognising when you were really threatened and potentially the situation could get worse, that you had no choice but to protect yourself. Yeah, and it was a great source of confidance, to be honest. And it definitely allowed me to be more maybe socially confident, to mm. go into different situations, to maybe hang out with different groups of people in ways that I took for granted that wouldn't yeah. be, you know, that if I didn't have that training, it might have been more difficult to do. You see, the, uh, the thing we're discussing now, and really this is, let's just bring it back to the start, is this is the gap between thinking and action, okay? Mm -hmm. And it, it's really important, I think, and I'm going to use the term warrior here because there's a difference between a warrior and a martial artist. Mm -hmm. It's a very distinctive difference, and we can discuss that later, but yeah. uh, I'll, I'll just move on from that. It's really important for a warrior to develop this particular skill. And when I say this particular skill, it's understanding the gap between thinking and action and becoming, you know, having some connection between your intellectual mind, your emotional self and mind, and your intuitive self. Now these three things intermingle and intertwine as you get older, particularly if you're operating with a sense of justice in your life, and you're making choices, not necessarily through ego, or not for any kind of domination or any form, it's with a sense of this is the right thing to do mm. for everyone involved. If you're operating from that point of view, mm. um, you really, you're connecting yourself into the elements. And as I mentioned, the elements are chi, sui, ka, fu, and ku. That's earth, water, mm -hmm. fire, wind, and void. Very, very different attitudes, mm -hmm. you know. And when you say attitudes, I, that was something I kind of, I remember Tony was asking me about that actually, in terms of being like, he doesn't understand the whole fire, water kind of thing. It seems a bit like mystical, but the way I understand that is that they're, they're different attitudes for approaching situations or combat. So like fire is an aggressive attitude, well, well, earth I, is grounded, wind is more flexible, water might be, you know, to represent a different type of approach. Yeah, well, that's the way I think. Well, you see, this is at a thinking level. Okay? Yeah. So you're, again, you're dealing with the intellectual mind. Mm. But if you were to bring in 
the emotional mind. And the emotional mind is the one that has to be really kept under control because you don't want to overreact. You don't want to, for example, if, if um, someone turns and bumps into you, you don't want to go, well, if you, you know, and using expletives and screaming, and you shouldn't have, you know. My, always, my focus is always manners, yeah. you know, which is, I think is just, it's impervious in the first place because manners are just so unique and so strong mm -hmm. that all humans react to them. Unless someone has a, you know, a destable and yeah, they shoot their head or whatever, yeah. or something really bothering them, which mm -hmm. people get caught with, manners are the key. So, you know, if you, you know, approach, oh, sorry, how, thank you, you know, whatever, manners, it really, really helps. But in the application of, um, of the elements, a true understanding really can only be acquired after years of practice under proper instruction that may eventually, not guaranteed, lead you or, or the, the proponent to the edge of their own understanding of themselves. themselves. That sounds complicated, but it's simple. It's to understand you, where you're at and what you're doing. In other words, you're not overreacting, you're not using the ego, you're not trying to fulfill some inadequacy inside yourself. Okay. Do you think that self kind of understanding is unique to ninjutsu? Because it seems I don't. Like, I mean, I don't. I don't. A mythology of other ones. Is it all martial arts? It's is not that all what martial it's about? arts. Like, I, I would say a lot of martial arts uh, contain the potential for it, mm -hmm. but a lot of people that would would kind of elevate and come up into the, the positions of power within those arts mm -hmm. have never learned it. So yeah. they can't pass it on. Mm. So it gets stunted. It's like any system. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm interested in. In terms of like the, there's the competitive aspect and there's a level of development in that and skill required. But then there's also something else that's the art, I think, that jutsu, that's this kind of, you know, that people transform through martial arts yeah. and through training yeah. in a creative way that's creative of who they are. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, is something that can be lacking if you're just doing training, if you're just yeah. doing it for kind of exercise or whatever. So I'm interested in tapping into that because yeah. I think that's something you're very good at. Well, yeah, because I learned it from people yeah. that were, you know, exceptional at this and had this skill, you know? And yeah. Some of them are Japanese and some of them are Irish. Yeah. And not only that, I learned a lot even from people that I train with. For example, I learned a lot from you. Watching you training gets me to hone some things that I know. And if we look at, you know, some of our senior black belts, you just watch these people emotionally and kind of think, wow, because of their ability to remove the gap between thinking and action, but also their ability to adapt and their ability to remain connected into their own compassion in the midst of it. If someone was a little bit weaker, they're not going to go and destroy them mm -hmm. because in the balance of things, they're no longer a threat. Mm -hmm. So why, whenever someone is, you know, obviously they won't use the word defeated, but they're, mm -hmm. be, they're being dominated by another fighter within a, a different why would you go and, and destroy them inside mm -hmm. the ring or inside a control environment you get to a point where mm -hmm. you achieve your objective your skill set's high and when you're applying it you go as far as it's needed mm -hmm. that's all part of the the balance we're actually talking about mm -hmm. you know you're learning what to do and what not to do yeah. you know and th that's sometimes is missing in a lot of a lot of arts but there was a point i was going to make there we had diverted again off our point, which is the gap between thinking and action, yeah. you know, what, and I must reiterate that it can only be attained through years of rigorous training, proper instruction, exposure to the elements, and by the elements we're talking about the attitudes, which is chi, sweet, kafu, ku, and but getting an understanding mentally, emotionally, and intuitively of those things. That could take you 20 years. Do you think that's what Masashi talks about in the five rings? I think so. 
Is I that think what so. Well, the interpretations of what Masashi said would lead you to think that. Yeah. And a lot of things are just interpretations. Because a lot of his metaphors seem to go beyond, like, the art, the actual fighting and stuff. Like, mm. you know, learning the longsword is learning about yourself. It's, yeah, if you can yeah. figure out the longsword, you figure it out yourself. Yeah. This type of, and like... There's a lot in that. There's a huge amount There's a lot in that, because particularly when you're training, you know, you look at aspects of the sword. If you're working, you know, even on... Um, EIJ2, which is fast draw techniques. Mm -hmm. It is then when you're doing that that you really have to detach yourself from the intellectual and what they call the monkey mind, yeah. the mind that's always chatting and always processing information. You got to turn that off and find a point that we call in training your zero. Mm -hmm. So you're no thinking, no thought whatsoever. Yeah. That your intellectual mind has been contained within that. Your emotional mind is not playing up because its participation is only energy in a contributory sense. It's putting energy into it. Mm -hmm. But the perceptive mind is what's linking those three things together. That's going to allow you to put chi. If you're doing EIJ2, you know, a fast draw check technique, your whole attitude goes from a physical movement to an embodiment of an element or an attitude within mm -hmm. the movement. Yeah. So the, the detachment of that, it becomes a physical movement. Yeah. If you learn that, you're just a robot. But it's so much more than the physical it movement. Is. Like, yeah. Well, you see, if you look at, I'm going to use warrior art again, because the yeah. difference between what we do and what others do, the warrior art is probably a more accurate description. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean to, to devalue something else, because I have a highly respect for you know martial arts in general and practitioners of it that spend years. They spend 10, 20, 30, 40, and in my case, 40 years training inside system and you have to have the height of respect with anyone of that you know focus and conditioning but within the martial or warrior art the art is often forgotten for, forgotten mm -hmm. completely completely mm -hmm. and if you think about you know if you look at Masashi he would even discuss the stroke of the artist's brush or the painter's mm -hmm. brush yeah. as a means and the perfect example would be if you were you were, you were doing a downward cut and you were drawing from the scarboard upward in a cut and the arc that turns that is a beautiful curving circular movement mm. and as it comes down the whole body adjusts behind it so it's almost like the creative arc of the curve of the cut is controlling the movement mm. so you suddenly have the warrior art and the art part within the context of, of removing the gap between thinking and action and the application of an element is suddenly in motion yeah. and the mind has been turned off it's not thinking, well, I won't, oh, I better not, I better. None of this is going on because you've achieved your zero, as we mentioned earlier. Body. The complexities of it mm. can get a little bit convoluted, but if you can keep those attitudes together, learn them over a period of time, particularly under proper instruction, and apply them at the right mm. moment, they are devastating, mm. absolutely devastating. It's a hard thing to grasp, because even like reading Musashi, I think I understand what he's on about. He won't understand it for years. <laughs> taking me a long time I'm 30 or 40 years reading it and uh, yeah. you, know, you find out something new every time exactly you know? I, but I think I get that point that because there's two there's different kinds of education there's the kind of education you do in school where you learn things mm. and then there's this other kind of education where you participate in something it's where what, you, you write it into your body in a way if you let me just cut in there yeah. it's what I mentioned earlier it's mm. let me just put it in basic terms it's you're just effectively detaching yourself from it. You learn it so much that in its application, it does it itself, mm -hmm. okay? It, it adjusts to whatever situation you're in because you've connected to the elements within 
practice and understanding and contemplation for many, many, many years under the proper level of instruction. And at the right time, it applies itself. So it's removing the, the gap between thinking and action, but it's allowing the, I suppose, the, the intellectual mind, the, the conscious mind, the emotional mind, or emotional energy within yourself, and the intuitive section to work together within the element. A point, I think, that sums that up, okay, is, I suppose, at a physical level, it's offensive in its application. And its most basic level, it manifests itself as a controlled, focused, precise, dynamic action. Now, students should always strive to achieve the highest quality in pursuit of perfection, perfection in practice with a realistic regard, I suppose, to its final application in combat. Now, at a deeper level, okay, the student, proponent, warrior, martial artist, whatever you want to call them, must, must always endeavor in, I suppose, for perfection of every technique and at the same time encompassing the participation and application of the relevant element within the given situation. Because this contains, I suppose, within it, the elements that can be applied, I suppose, to any technique anywhere with devastating efficiency. What I'm hearing you saying is that in terms of that you write it into like, you have this kind of instinctual self that reacts to things. And this is a way of like tapping into it to rewrite it. Like making things into second nature mm. in a way. Mm. So you're reprogramming that basic package that you get as an evolved animal, but you're updating it with all of this traditional software that you've gotten from thousands of years of ninjutsu mm. that's been handed down. And you're re, re yeah. building yeah. those instincts yeah. better. You're the point, you're, you're developing them and progressing them further. Into but, something that's really honed. But also I feel like that develops who you are. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're not the same person when you've done that. Yeah, well, we, what we've done in the Shinden Fudo Dojo is effectively we have trimmed off all the fat. Mm -hmm. Okay? Anything that doesn't fit into our world that has no place in our world, we learn it and we go over it every now and again in some sort of motion, practice it, and we drop it and we move on. We only concentrate on the stuff that really fits our environment. Now, that in itself, I think, is a very strong component of ninjutsu. Don't waste your time with stuff that's, you know, no good to you. You know, like within our system, we don't have blocks. A lot of systems have blocks. What we, we do, do like wax on, wax off. Yeah, well, we don't do that sort of stuff. Whereas I think others that do it, do it well, but it's yeah. not within us. With us, we counterattack. Mm -hmm. Usually using kapo jitsu, which you know is bone breaking, or attacks to the body structure. And we use it in a manner where the precision of the actual implement, be it your hand or be it your elbow or your shoulder or your head, is so precise and the technique is so honed, you know, to the position that you do it in and, and the position of contact and how the force is actually delivered. That without huge practice, huge repetition, you're never going to get that. Now, if we're concentrating on doing stuff that's not relevant, it's going to eat into the time of learning the really effective stuff. You know, so I think a lot of it can be wasted, you know. Do you really think there's wasted. a lot of fluff in terms of... I wouldn't say that because, um, you know, systems. with respect, all systems have their own attitude and their own approach. Mm -hmm. All martial arts systems. And who is anybody to criticize any of them? Mm -hmm. You know, they're learning them for their reasons. Mm -hmm. The same as a clan will learn a particular, or take a particular attitude to protect themselves. The same as any family would or any country or any place or any person. So if they're doing that for whatever reason, the best of luck, I wouldn't consider criticizing them 
But in our system, we don't bother with anything that would fit anywhere near fluffy. There's nothing fluffy. And and we practice our our stances. We have three katas in our system. And we practice them at least once a year. Mm -hmm. Just so we remember them. Yeah. But they have no practical application. And I suppose this is stepping into the next bit, which is, I mean, the defense element of it, which is like, if you're training for combat situations, targeting training towards that, but how do you juggle that with the art? I mean, is there a con or is there a conflict between those two? No, they hand in hand. There's a connection between them that is like an umbilicus. It's like an umbilical cord mm-hmm. that can never be separated. Mm-hmm. It's like we're sitting here now, mm-hmm. and if we were in this environment and something started, mm-hmm. for example, a conflict started, I'm throwing you, the tables. You, exactly. <laughs> the first thing you're going to do is use your environment. Okay, yeah. you're going to upend that table. That's what I do on top of you. Yeah. And on the way out the door, I'm going to run over it. So you know, <laughs> and I'm not going to bother trying yeah. to put you on I'm just gone or in the way past the kettle you're going to get whacked across the head of the kettle <laughs> now that's the application of of, of technique yeah okay and in our sense mm. because we don't look at a weapon as a weapon the weapon doesn't even come into it these are merely implements that you have at the time in your space that you can use to protect yourself mm. and it comes down to a more basic level at your guard how you cover your guard how we use the centralized guard mm-hmm. you know we did it and as we often discuss it's like a gearbox of a car, a manual car, first, second, third, fourth. And those short movements are what we do to cover and move. Not mm. unlike what boxers do. Nice, that's a serious metaphor. Yes, it yeah, is. I don't remember that. You know, I haven't heard that. Yeah, I've used that for years. And it's just a matter of, of, of breaking it down to it's, number one, it's not fluffy. Number one, it's not for show. It's very practical. It's very pragmatic yeah. and very efficient. Mm-hmm. If you need to get into mortal combat, this stuff you can apply very fast. Yeah. Very hard, and you know, and we've seen it over the years. You know, I often told you the story about the, the guy that fought the two guys with the knives oh, in Dublin yeah, City okay. Centre. That guy, <laughs> right? Well, I'll just, I'll kind of, I'll give you a quick synopsis. Right? It was um, outside a club in Dublin. There was a bunch of people sitting outside, probably thirty or forty people, and there was two doormen. Okay, and a guy actually entered the street in Dublin, and this was probably 2009 so you hadn't really seen much of this now you see it with all sorts of you know terrorist things across the world guy with a knife attacking people in the street and he had two knives and they were two big serrated what I would call kitchen knives and he's running at people and people are splitting left right and centre and the two guys at the door spotted it immediately and one of them uh, who who automatically without a word I observed the both of them one of them without a word actually moved back to cover the crowd these guys had real intuitive stuff going on between them. They could have been perfect practitioners of ninjutsu, the way they worked, you know? Yeah. So he pushed back. And the other guy kind of leaned back in a slouchy manner against a chair, and there's tables and chairs, and just stared at, the, at the, the guy with the knives. In some way, it would nearly appear like he knew he was going to come towards him. He knew by, by this, I can attract his attention. Didn't run out to, you know, like... You know, a movie star and start fighting them and fencing them and you know, get them in a headlock in the street. Didn't do any of that. He just kind of stood back and focused at him. And then the, the head job or the nut job with the, the knives made his way to him. But as he got to him, well, he done the most amazing thing. And I suppose the body movement in this really epitomizes what we do in the Shindan Fudo Dojo. Really epitomizes it. With his left hand, he was hailed the seat. As the guy got closer, he lunged his body weight forward in one step and whacked the guy across the head, the guy with the knives, with a chair, with an aluminium chair. Not only once, but twice before he hit the ground. And before the guy hit the ground, he had set the chair down and was on top of him, driving his knee into his chest, smacked him a few times around the head, locked him up, and pinned him to the ground until the cops came. 
Now that to me is perfect ninjutsu mm. because of all the elements, even having the patience yeah. to sit and wait, not to overreact, not mm. to get frightened, and even how the team worked. You know, the other guy went off and controlled the crowd and the people were just watching amazed that this lunatic was running around attacking people in the street. That is the ultimate martial art mm. because there's no form, there's no controlled environment, there's no referee, Tires. there's no okay, there's no exchange in the sense of, you know, I hit you and you hit me. It was one decisive, perfectly timed counterattack, and it defeated him. And that young fella learned a very important lesson that day. Right? Always <laughs> expect the unexpected. And that lesson will stay with you for life, you know, it really is. And what lesson have you learned, do you think? What's one of the most valuable things you've taken from the 50 years of training? Oh my God, where would you start? Um, first of all, before we do that, can I just, uh, I suppose, contrast another story from the early 1900s under, under the famous Tagamatsui, okay? There was, oh no, actually, like there was, there was a, a time, Tagamatsu since he was a 33rd, 33rd Grand Master of Togakure Ninjutsu, and he was employed in China by a group of Japanese businessmen as a bodyguard. And another particular day, a bunch of gangsters were coming close to one of their properties or whatever, and they were trying to muscle in, and, and Tagamatsu was sent down to have a word with them. But these guys didn't take any messing. There was probably eight or ten or whatever, I couldn't guess. But they attacked him with knives and swords. And what he did, because he didn't have any, he had a sword on him, he climbed up onto the roof of a building in a couple of moves and brought them to that environment. And within that environment, they had to fight him on the a slanted roof of a slated building. Mm. And then he was able to turn it to his advantage. Mm. So really, it's a timeless, what those guys did at the, the bar in Dublin was done a thousand years earlier. Now, to get your question that you just asked me, because I know, I know we're on a clock now. I would say, what did I learn now? I'll tell you what I learned. When I was a trainer at Hatsumi in uh, Japan in 1988, we were in uh, not a city in, in Hatsumi since dojo. Rough training, I suppose, very warm night. There was probably, I think there was 20 of us over training at that, that time. But in the middle of the session, Hatsumi Sensei got us all to sit down and take a break for a minute. And while we sat down, he had a chat with us, you know. And he said something in the middle of this chat. Well, he's always a really interesting man to listen to. And in the middle of the chat, he, he said something that really stuck in my head. He said, follow the martial and literary arts with balanced determination. And I think that's the most important thing I ever learned from martial mm -hmm. arts, was not to stay buried in your own familiar area and only do that. You know, that encouraged me to read philosophy, you know, history, even to study different languages. I studied Japanese, studied French, and uh, I read art, poetry, you know, and, and it really encouraged me to follow a path of learning and self-development and progress, even studying nutrition, so you know what you're eating and what you're not eating. And really, that I think is probably the most important lesson I ever heard, other than one. One question, and we were training the same week with Hatsumi Sensei, and he asked everybody, sent everybody down, and there's the toughest of the tougher sitting in the crowd, you know, all young fellas, anything, maybe 22, 23, 25, and we all knew everything about everything then, like the 25-year-olds know today. So and Hatsumi <laughs> Sensei by the way. asked us all a question. Hatsumi Sensei asked us all a question. He said, what's the most important, important thing in martial arts? And of course, you had the body movement, and you had determination, and you had 
honour and you had to, and he, and he listened to about five or six and a few of us were smart enough not to open up our stupid mouths, right? Our stupid inexperienced mouths. And we said nothing and we sat back yeah. eagerly awaiting him. What advice are you going to give us? He said, no. He said, manners are the most important thing in martial arts. That's the most valuable lesson and really I think should be contemplated by anybody who's practicing martial arts or any sport. Manners, courtesy, respect. Yeah. Become a civilized Celtic ninja warrior. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, Dad. You're very welcome. Oh, man. That conversation could have done with an extra two hours, couldn't it? I hope that's probably the first of many to come because, uh, yeah, my dad just has some great knowledge on these topic areas and it's always fascinating to talk to him. Um, So, yeah, if you enjoy the podcast, follow along on Spotify, follow along on YouTube or Instagram. There's plenty more coming. Have a good one.